This is the Relevant Podcast. It's Tuesday, December 1st, 2020, and this is a Relevant Podcast. In Orlando, I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and joining me from Loverland, Virginia, it's Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. From Austin, Texas, author and podcaster, Jamie Ivey. Hey, guys. And from Nashville, Tennessee, artist, producer, and mogul, Derek Miner. Yoski. Before we get going, I want to tell you that today's show is brought to you by Apartment Life. 95% of people living in apartments aren't connected to a local church, making it our largest local mission field. Apartment Life brings in Christians who are passionate about loving their neighbors to host irresistible events and to care for apartment residents in times of need, building relationships that can open the door to sharing Jesus. Yes, even in the middle of a pandemic, especially in the middle of a pandemic. Apartment Life has connected more than 65,000 residents with a local church over the last 20 years. Visit apartmentlife.org slash relevant to apply. Apartmentlife.org slash relevant. Uh, we have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, we talked to John Mark Comer. Now, if you've been listening this summer, you know that there was an episode where we got talking about the theology of aliens. Mm-hmm. And Jesse, was it you who brought up yeah. the book yeah. that he wrote? Yeah. And he wrote a book that talked about the theology of aliens. And so we have been we've been trying to track him down during a pandemic to talk to us about the theology of aliens. We finally got him, and he had no interest in talking about the theology of aliens. <laughs> Curiously. So we yeah. talk about other things. That's coming up. So now you want to get all quiet about aliens. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing weird here. Nothing to see. Everyone just move along. And no one's got inside knowledge on aliens, that's for sure. Let's talk about grace or something, John Mark Comer. Yeah. Hey, I will say, since joining the Relevant Podcast, when yeah. these kind of conversations come up at parties, yeah. I have some things in my head that I never mm. had before. There you go. And you I like am it. a part of the conversation, you guys. Thanks to all of you here. It, well, first we of ever... all, why are you going to parties during a pandemic? <laughs> okay, I, I listen. Small gatherings outside uh-huh. around a picnic table over lunch. There you go. <laughs> hey, I, I think right. Cameron, if we ever wanted to like rebrand like a segment or something where yeah. we just talk about the most random, interesting thing possible, I already got the name Party Fuel. Okay, oh, that's, that's good. That's also what teenagers call four loco, from what I understand. But, <laughs> I don't even know what four loco is. But, we but, have yeah. Seven Elevens. We hey, have four hey, loco. We is. should get. Hey, listen, we got a new segment it's called Party Fuels with a new sponsor, Four Loco. Yeah. Oh, I like it. <laughs> yeah, let's get the sales team on that because I, I see some real synergy there. I, I like that, think, Jesse. I think I kind of think that's just the whole show, though. I mean, you <laughs> that's know? true. That's true. I mean, we try to keep everything interesting, but uh, I'm just trying to get that four loco. Uh, coin is what I'm trying to do for the team. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> we also have uh, your feedback coming up later. Uh, it's your replies to the weirdest gift question that we asked you on last Tuesday's show. <laughs> That's going to be a fun one. Hey, guys, I had a real quick question. Like, I suck at and and hate wrapping things. Like, Wait, I'm, I, they, they look. It's December 1st. So you're officially now dreading. What yeah. you're going to have to do in a it's few It's the weeks. worst part of the holidays. And it seems like a big waste. It's like making your bed, right? Like, I'm going to sleep in here. Like, the entire <laughs> the entire premise of wrapping a present is like, 
just so someone can go tear off the paper that took you 30 minutes to, to you know, tape and all that. It's it's no fun to put together. I don't think anyone actually likes the unwrapping process. Like, just opening a... Kids do. Yeah, kids do, for sure. Have you ever seen a kid? They just shred through it. They If you could give a kid an option of like, hey, do you want to unwrap it and just tear through it as fast as humanly possible? We're just trying to have the toy sitting there. I think they just want the toy. Like, they're just getting to the bottom of the wrapping paper. Here's what here's the revelation I had. Guys, I think COVID killed gift wrapping. Like this no one's we're not doing the big gatherings where we're bringing boxes, you know, like in the movies where you bring in the big yeah, you know, carrying all these nicely wrapped presents. You're just Amazoning. You're just priming. Like, do we not have to worry about wrapping this year? If that, that Wait, seems like Jesse, a huge plus for me. How many of your kids' presents are you wrapping during the in, in holidays? Personally? Yes. <laughs> It's a zero, isn't it? Because because I, I think haven't that's been trusted. That, that privilege has <laughs> been taken yeah. from me, Jamie. Yeah. That privilege yeah. has been Do taken. Do you really from want the guy wrapping the present? That's, <laughs> that's what I'm like, Jesse. How many are you wrapping? Do you really want that? I'm a single parent. I got to wrap all Cameron's my kids' presents. Yeah, I'm not the worst. Are you, but, but you know what, Cameron? You're you're different, though, because you're very detail-oriented, very Damn, clean that's cut. True. That's true. I'm good at wrapping. I hate it, but I'm good at it. <laughs> see, if see, I'm I more... wrap a present, it's gonna, I'm getting some newspaper. And I'm, <laughs> <laughs> you're that guy. I'm wrapping that guy. it up. Or, or, or you know what? The best thing I found is the the little bags that yeah. you put the Game you put the little fluffy stuff in there the little white paper man yeah. I don't listen if I was gonna buy you a car I'd slide it in that bag and throw, <laughs> <laughs> throw some of okay. that paper in it but Jesse you said kids don't like it let me tell you what I do and tell me if you would hate this as a kid okay. my mom did this so I have four kids yeah. that means I buy four different rolls of wrapping paper. Every year, yeah. I've already done it this year, and they I wrap all of each kids in one wrapping paper, but they don't know until Christmas morning. And so there's like this, like they see them under there. There's a surprise. Which one's mine? Which one's mine? That makes it more fun, right? Yeah, it does. But the the problem is, like, I get so tired and frustrated with wrapping that I'm like, I'm just cramming five presents into this box and wrapping it up, <laughs> and we're just gonna kill five birds with one wrap here. Because but if this you're not is doing your kids, that means you're doing that to Dana. You're all of Dana's presents. You just kind of like throw into a big box I, and gift bags and gift bags, guys. Poor Dana. There's Poor gift Dana. bags. It's just money too. for me, yo. I'm just like, babe, what do you want? Here you go. Just cash? Done. You just give her cash? Straight cash. Remember we talked about that. That's Straight. not good, Derek. Don't Straight give away cash. cash. No, I do. No, no, no. I do. I do some gifts every now and again. But for me, I'm not I, like even the rapping stuff. I'm just like, babe. All right. For Christmas or your birthday or Valentine's Day, let's go to Nordstrom. And just what I do like you want? That. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah, like, we'll just, day. Just, yeah, like, let's just go shopping. I'm going to take you, you know, we're going to get brunch. We're going to do mimosas. You know what I'm saying? You so know, and all that. And, and then that. Yeah. Right. Of the five love languages, gift giving would be on the bottom of yours. Oh, yeah. I don't care nothing about no gifts. What's What's your top one? Like time together? Because you want to go probably, spend a day probably, with her? It's probably words of affirmation is my, because okay. I'm, a, I'm a narcissist, so. No, that's Which a lot of guys. I think. Just play. It's not no, just, no, it's, I think, it's yeah. words of affirmation my, for sure. My, my love language this year at Christmas <laughs> is two brand new Chevy Silverados with bows <laughs> on them. In the why two? But why two? Because you can't the drive them both at one time. That's what the commercial is this year, Derek. Yeah, yeah. One, yeah. For her, one for him. Yeah. One for him. But what yeah. kind of spouse does that? Who's like wakes up Christmas morning like? 
Are you serious? We get two new car payments and taxes <laughs> yeah, on this? What are you doing? What? There are some communication issues in that marriage. We didn't talk about this. Yeah. I, think, I think we've unveiled something about our marriage here that That's I wasn't aware of. You literally, you literally just spent $90,000 <laughs> yes. on Christmas. Yeah. yeah, even if they're so well or off, there's more. no payment. Yeah. They they pay cash. Yeah. You just spent $90,000 out of our investments or retirement or whatever it and, was. You didn't talk to me? And uh-uh. a car's a, car a big present. deal. You are, I, I would have appreciated a test drive here. I appreciate the thought. Yeah. I've never considered Consider myself a Silverado person. I again, Toyota Thon just wrapped. I, you knew my feelings about Toyota Thon. It's once a year. I would have appreciated one test drive here, but you went ahead with the dual Silverados. Like that is that can that can that trope just go away for Christmas? Because everyone who sees that commercial. It does the exact same thing. I want to put myself in in the position of that husband or wife who went out and went car shopping, found time to go car shopping in in December without their spouse knowing. And somehow their spouse is so detached from their finances that they were able to take out a brand new car loan without their spouse having to know about it. There's a lot of things in those commercials. That's all I think about. I never think about I actually want the car, much less I'm going to give someone this car. It's and like, that on Christmas Day, those cars showed up in your front porch. Yeah, where were you hiding them? them? Where you were just parking them down the street at the mall? Like, when, when did you seek out? When did, when did you seek it's out? The morning. Christmas yeah, morning. When did you, yeah. yeah. And then what did, what did you do? Did you get an Uber? To where you park the car? Drive one, and then get another get ride the there. One? Yeah. Did, did, it, yeah, there's a lot of mechanics of this that, 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 that I don't even think the car commercial people didn't think about. I just think they just disregard it. You they know? don't care. I've told you about the Christmas morning prank I always want to do, right? What? what? Is, to, is to get me or one of my wife's cars. I mean, we just have like average vehicles. I mean, they're nice vehicles, but they're not like, you know, something crazy. But I take one and I wash it, get that thing detailed, right? Yeah. I mean, sparkling on Christmas Eve. Then yeah. I get one of those giant, comically large red bows. Right. They just drive out, outside of somebody's house at like 7 a.m. and just like <laughs> lay down in the back seat. And when I see lights start coming on the house, I beep the horn twice and just lay down. And I see someone look out the window and they're like, oh my gosh, there's a brand new car outside with a giant bow. And then I just drive away and go play the prank on another house. That's my oh my life. gosh, Jesse. <laughs> You're just driving that around Virginia great. Beach with a big old red bow on your car. Just parking at different houses, waiting for the lights to come on. Oh my gosh. Who's out there? It's Christmas morning. Oh my. Just a lot of broken hearts on Christmas morning. That's oh my it's savage, but I think about it, it every very year. It's very savage. Hey, hey, that's gangster though, bro. I can't even lie. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I thought about a really that a idea. lot. It's yeah. a really good idea, actually. All right. We want one of y'all listeners to actually do that this year. Go. I don't know where you get a bow that large, first of all. They don't sell it at Michael's. Like, where do you get a. Lexus commercial red bow. Yeah, I think you I gotta, gotta make it, man. Yeah, you gotta, yeah, you gotta, man. gotta at least make it. I mean, if if you bought a car, you can make a bow. Maybe All they right. give you a bow at the the dealership. Like maybe they it. have, yeah. yeah. Maybe they have some sort they of like special thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. So somebody go get one of those bows and do what Jesse just said and send us the video because yeah, that would be. Video. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's the amazing. worst. <laughs> All right. You know, I mean, one of y'all single and you with COVID, you can't travel home or something. You're stuck alone on Christmas. Might as well go prank a, a bunch of families. I would do it. I'm not going to lie. I would, I would, I would absolutely do it. All right. Well, stay tuned. Coming up next is Slices. Because I don't want to be someone who makes you happy. 
to Jeremy Zucker and song is Supercuts. Well, today's show is brought to you by Samaritan Ministries. Let's be honest, talking about health insurance is not something anyone really likes to do. It can be confusing with lots of jargon. Plus, who really knows what it's actually going to take care of? That's why Samaritan Ministries is a healthcare option you should consider. It's not insurance. It's Christians sharing healthcare costs and encouraging one another when there's a medical need. Here's how it works. You choose your healthcare provider. Medical bills are sent to Samaritan Ministries. They notify members to pray and send you money for your shareable bills. The money received is used to pay the bills and health care sharing is biblical and affordable. Samaritan members directly share health care costs with other members and the cost for an individual can be as low as $75 a month. You can join Samaritan Ministries any time of year, so why not today? Samaritan members know that when an illness or injury happens, fellow members are there to support them. Learn more at SamaritanMinistries.org slash Relevant Podcast. Okay, it's time for Slices. What do you have, Jesse? All right, so I, I I'm, I'm kind of curious about the thoughts on this because I, I have I have lots of them, uh, and I don't know where I land. And it's about the latest move by Twitter to combat the spread of differ, disinformation on their platform. Um, you know, up to like recently, they've started. You know, this has been something in the last few months. Where if a a notable person uh, or a a story that starts getting some momentum is being shared on their platform, but their fact checkers determine that it that it is not true, especially if it involves anything with uh, you know the pandemic or or public safety or with. Um, you know, the election, they mark it as, you know, potentially false or misleading information, right. you know, as soon as um, I'm as disputed or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that was sort of it started kind of on the link level and then moved to the tweet level. And now if you actually retweet, so if you're actually sharing that, you know, disinformation, then you're you will get a warning when you hit retweet. Um, but Twitter is now kind of ramping up and soon they're rolling out a new feature that even if you try to like a tweet that contains information that they have deemed false, you're going to get a warning before you like stuff. Oh, um, wow. So, what? I, I, yeah, that's crazy. It, so, you know, this is, I don't know you guys, if you, if, or anyone who's listening, who's followed kind of politics and uses Twitter as an information source. I, I think, you know, there's definitely value to having some front facing fact checking, but now it's kind of creeping into the basic functionality of the of the of the application. Yeah. Um, and you've also seen at the same time uh, it's the people departing for parlor, which is sort of the conservative leaning uh, social media platform that advertises itself as censorship free. You know, they deem what Twitter's doing as censorship. Um, you know, Twitter says they're m- merely providing a service to, to stop the spread of dif- disinformation. But a quick side note on the parlor thing. Parlor yeah. has quickly become like the CrossFit of the tech world because it's like the old joke. Hey, how do you know if someone's into CrossFit? 
Oh. Don't worry, they'll tell you. That's how it is with Parler. <laughs> hey, everyone, going over to Parler. Just want to let you know, going to use this platform to let you know, going over to Parler. See you later. And it's like a week later. Hey, I haven't seen you guys over on Parler yet, but I'm just letting yeah. you know, moved over there. Dude, uh, Mar- this- uh, the Fox News host, uh, Maria, what's her last name? The one who actually was perpetuating a lot of the yeah. egregious conspiracy theories, Sidney Powell and all this stuff on Fox News. Yeah, She after the election was doing exactly what you said. I'm going to parlor. I'll still use Twitter to promote the show, but all of my scoops and my real thoughts will be on parlor. And, and, and the newspaper did an analysis since election day. She's posted on Twitter 187 times and she's posted on parlor like 17 times. Like yeah. nobody, like my audience is on Twitter. I can't walk away from my audience. You yeah. know, they say all this stuff, but they aren't actually leaving. It's really yeah. funny. Yeah. I mean, that's how everyone who's I've seen announced, Hey, farewell Twitter going to parlor. It's like, just want to circle back and let you guys know about that parlor thing because it's <laughs> <yeah. laughs> kind, of, kind of quiet over there. Quite quiet. <laughs> I, think, I think the algorithm, I think I got censored over here. You probably didn't even see the parlor tweet. Uh, preemptive. <laughs> the tree falls see? in the forest, right? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but I, I do understand the concerns of critics who, uh, you know, say that these moves by, uh, social media platforms can potentially hamper free speech. I, I understand those arguments. I don't know necessarily whether I agree with them, but I do think making it, it does feel weird. I, the, I like what are they going to do? De- what's the yeah. line? Is it going to mm-hmm. move? Like is yeah. like this is offensive now, not mm-hmm. just factually wrong. And who's yeah. in this, charge? It feels like it would take on a personal yeah. nature of oh, this is offensive yeah. to me. And, and, there's going to be a bias. Yeah, and, and two, like it, there's a difference between spreading the share of misinformation by by you know writing something that is observably false and and posting it, or even retweeting something to you know much less you know liking something to me. It, that's totally different because well, you know you know why they're doing this the self-policing is ramping up because yeah. the looming shift in the administration there will be a big big time discussion about tech oversight and possibly breaking up the tech monopolies i mean biden winning was really bad for google and facebook and twitter because yeah. hmm. they're going to get more involved because there's this loophole law that the tech industry that was made, you know, this law was made 35 years ago before our current social media era that they use to say, we just create the platform. We're not liable for any of the content that's published on our platform. Unlike media that is held accountable for what we publish, you can be sued for libel, defamation and different things like that. So there's laws, there's checks and balances, but Facebook and stuff, the users can perpetuate anything and Facebook's not held liable. That law is going to be looked at next year. And so what Twitter's trying to do is ramp up self-police, get ahead of it. So like, hey, you don't need to like clamp down on us because we're good. We cleaned it up. But the 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 reality is, is it's coming. Uh, that, that Twitter will become liable for misinformation or defamation being spread on Twitter. And so that's going to fundamentally change social media. Yeah. And, and to me, that's where it gets <clears throat> a little concerning because I, I, look, I mean, we all have, we all have, you know, encountered misinformation in the wild and, and, and seen people duped by it. But at the same time, the, the, the tech sort of ethicist in, in me kind of says, well, how is it fundamentally different than me having a text thread with 20 friends that I'm, you know, promoting conspiracy theories or misinformation on and not having my phone company come in and say, but that's uh-huh. private, not public. But what if, it's what if a, I have a private Twitter account and I want well, to then share maybe misinformation. private accounts would be different. You know, well, what, what about the barbershop? 
If you want to, you want to hear the most lies you've ever heard in your life. Go to a black barbershop. <laughs> like just, just go. I, I just on a Saturday, go to a black barbershop because it's gonna be packed on Saturday. Well, probably not now in COVID, but. When things come back, you're going to hear the most lies in public you've ever heard in your entire life. But the period. difference in freedom of speech versus public content that's published, I think that's the fine line. Media can't say whatever. We have to yeah. have some, ba- you know, again, you can be sued. And, and so like Twitter and Facebook will probably lose that autonomy that other media companies have to abide by. And so that's the thing of like, Private conversations, freedom of speech for individuals, that's fine. The individual won't be sued, but Facebook would be held accountable for the content but that they published. I was going to say, but everybody, but so are they going to, this is the question then, are they going to impose these restrictions on people that are media personalities or are they going to impose them on everybody, including Jan? Everybody, right? Yeah, I think like, I think what the again it's all TBD. I mean, like this is, hasn't even been discussed legally yet, like from the Congress standpoint. Okay, but what what is what they're talking about t- overturning is that loophole that protects the publisher, the publishing platform, from being held accountable for the content on its platform. Yeah. And so Facebook will hmm. be held accountable for anything a user pushes publishes on to Facebook. So Facebook will have to limit what it'll let you publish because they're going to be held accountable and that, for what and that, you do. And that's where it gets to me complicated because like, you know, I can see the argument on both sides because to a degree, you know, for a media publisher, ultimately there's some editorial oversight, right? Like, you know, most media publishers either <clears throat> employ their writers or commission the things that they end up publishing where, you know, if I was Twitter, I could make the case, well, other than the the tech, the front facing technology, how is it fundamentally different? If I was like a someone like a, a, a printing press that someone wanted to use my platform to publish a pamphlet that was just insane, but I'm like, mm-hmm. well, they're just using my technology. I'm just yes, technically I was the publisher because I published it, a but passive, I had no control over platform, the content. Yeah. They yeah yeah, mm-hmm. where it's like the how is it fundamentally yeah. different? Yeah, yeah, and and, and that's, that's what I'm argument. saying. I, I, this is to me not something where, yeah, where I have sort of a sort of moral conclusion. I just think it's interesting to watch it evolve. You know, so 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 you just made the two arguments. You know, like passive platform versus publisher responsibility, and that that argument, yeah. probably in the next year or two, will make its way to the Supreme Court, which is now heavily conservative. And will probably abide or with the censorship side of things, and and like, you know, not allowing, you know, uh, no collateral, you know, no repercussions for false information being spread on on their platforms. So the the Supreme Court tilting isn't just a Roe v. Wade situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is now uh, it's going to really affect big tech too. So it'll be interesting mm. to see what happens in the next year or two. And this is one I don't really know, which I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. know what's yeah. better ultimately. I, because I think there's probably it's a judgment unintent- call. I yeah. see both sides for the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like this yeah. is a literally a judgment call, yeah. and the call will probably come down on the side of breaking up big tech. Yeah, and that, and to me, 
again, I, I don't really thought through, and, and I think there's tons of unintended consequences both ways, but I do feel like, especially for Christians who want to be very informed about not just the actual information being shared, but how that information is regulated, I feel like it's pretty critical to at least kind of develop, start to develop an understanding of what some of those unintended consequences can be, especially, mm. you know, as it pertains to uh, how information about faith issues and faith and social issues are shared and interpreted and regulated. It's just it's just an interesting area that we're slowly wading into, but I have a feeling if we're going to start regulating likes, it's going to it's going to start escalating pretty quickly, you know. Oh, I agree. I mean, cuz the conspiracy theorists are going to say, "See, this is big brother." Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, meddling but, with But that's not even a conspiracy theory. That's that actually would be no, but they're saying Tell that the there truth. would be like that's what they're saying. <laughs> they're, they're saying, saying they're conspiring like they, to hide, conspiring to yeah. to silence me. You know, like no, they're just trying to unilaterally say this is factually incorrect. You know, <laughs> right? Like I got you. I got silence, you. Yeah, they'll yeah. take it personally as well. Right? They'll they'll make it myopic and say that that somebody in the in in Facebook is trying to silence Bob. And it's yeah. like, yeah, but Mark Zuckerberg no, doesn't want the church sharing this prayer to whatever. It's like, well, yeah. so it proves that Zuckerberg is yeah. part of the pedophile ring. The reality is, like most business ventures, <laughs> big tech is not worried, is not overly concerned about with ideological principles. I think they're most concerned about their bottom line and right. also protecting themselves from legal liabilities. And I think that's probably the ultimate motivating factor, you know. Yeah, I I think we will look back on this 26 2015 to 2020 era of social media one day and go, I can't believe it used to be like that. Because mm-hmm. I think it'll look so different in the future. Yeah. All right. What do you have, Jamie? All right. Something that we um, are looking forward to this month is a lot of uh, watching TV. Do you guys binge watch stuff during the holidays? Like we are a big binge watch stuff over like school breaks. What? I binge watch stuff every day. Oh, I mean, with like, like a whole family sits down. Like my last... social life is watching uninterrupted seven hours of television every night. That's like my two social years life. ago, we watched all the Rockies over Thanksgiving break, and I think that's oh, what nice. we did. Awesome. So that on we Monday. Did... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're we're actually trying to figure out what are we going to binge as a family of this uh, holidays. But I will tell you, right now there are a lot of good things to binge. And just last week, last Monday. Uh, Netflix came out and said their new show, The Queen's Gamut, is like the highest watched, uh, most popular limited series in the streaming world right now. In fact, they had, let me tell you how many they had. They had, let's see, 62 million households watched mm. it in the first 28 days. What? Any, are any of those, are any of y'all in the households? No. no. The is, it that, is it that good? I'm trying to, I don't, I just. I started it and it's good. Is I, it? Okay. I, I've yeah, so yeah, is yeah. It, it's about chess, right? Yeah, right. I'm, well, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm I'm, de- I'm a hard out on chess stuff. I just <laughs> it's that's, just about chess. It's about it, it doesn't life. matter. It doesn't matter. Oh, okay. It's chess related. Chess she adjacency. Had to overcome a lot. <laughs> oh, okay, so it's the struggle of a of yeah, a, struggle of, of a, life, and she finds out that she's good at chess. She was okay. she was in an Poker orphanage or something. I'd probably be in. Yeah, but chess. Mm. Sixty two million. I mean, think about Nielsen ratings. Like the top broadcast shows are like 9 million viewers. It's crazy. 9 wow. million viewers would be the number one show that week. 62 million households would be 150 million people maybe. It's a lot. Yeah. 
two to three people per household. All that's crazy. So she beat out Tiger King, is what you're saying. Yeah, she so beat that same, that's more than the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. That same week, they there was an article that came out that said the most watched streaming TV shows, and Netflix was right when they're claiming they have the best one. That was it. Number two was The Mandalorian, which. All my kids have watched, but I haven't. I'm not into that. Mandalorian is yeah. fire, yeah. buddy. It's legit. Yeah, it's really good. Fire. I would do, so it, so I would do still space in there. or chess. Well established. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell you. The number four, Jesse, is I cannot believe this show is still on TV. Grey's Anatomy. This is still on TV. <laughs> current. They're making current shows right hey, now. McDreamy is coming 16, back. Yes, it's he's like back. dead. I thought he was dreams. dead. How is yeah, he, he is dead. Back? He's coming back in our dreams. Coming he's coming back. back. But okay, I have a, hey, I have a, I have McDreamy a quiz. is in all of our dreams. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> My wife used to watch that all the time. Yeah. Are y'all ready? Hit us. Yeah, okay, give the, it to me. So y'all may not know this since y'all are into the Queen's Gamut, but do you know who, which very much A-list actor was set to direct the film Back in 2008, a long time ago, they the were going to make this into a what? film. They were going to the film, the Queen's Gamut, that's on Netflix right now. Oh, okay, okay. They were going to make it into a film in 2008. Okay. Do you know who was set to direct it? Uh, is it? Can you give Sophia us a Coppola? It, I'll is give it, you a clue. He's no longer with us, and he's a filmmaker, like a notable filmmaker. McDreamy. No. Oh. oh and he was. Um, this will get. He was the Joker. Oh, Heath Ledger. Oh, Heath, Heath Ledger. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yo. I started watching that show and y'all know my son is way into movies and so he knows everything. In fact, yeah. I always feel like I need to bring him on the show. But he told me that and it's true. I looked it up. So there you oh, go. Look at that. That's hey. dope. Yeah. Well, That's dope. Heath, man. R.I.P. Did Heath, he direct Heath, other stuff? Man. I don't I don't know. Last I know. night I was binging. I, I was binging a series. A friend texted me. Hey, what are you doing? I was like, I, I'm in bed watching a TV show about men looking for pirate treasure <laughs> i was watching this, <laughs> this history channel series it was, to Oak legend, it was a legend of oak island wasn't it yeah, the money man, I'm, dude, I'm, hey man have you figured out how much those guys have spent i mean like i added i added up you know like they'll rent gear that's like a million dollars for this dig well, that will lead this. to the very how, little how, how much how much what kind of price tag would you put on blackbeard's treasure or you know ancient jewels or the ark of the covenant that's hiding under that island cameron how much would dude, you specific do specifically blackbeard's treasure that is being looked at was uh, talked about on the episode that i was yeah. watching last night and there's they value it at over 400 million dollars but yeah. there's a, another pirate treasure that they'd say Scott, is probably right? worth over a billion dollars. Yeah. yeah. And guys, listen, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Pirate treasure, Jamie. <laughs> or the and Knights I just Templar. want you to know that is not in the top 10 of most streamed shows this past week. Just so My top 10. <laughs> my Netflix algorithm is very different than yours. That thing was promoted to me. Yeah, it's, you like, notice I got hey, quiet. Them boys start talking about pirates. Cooking, I'm like, he's looking at pirates, like, baby. I'm he, out here, about the Goonies and the pirates. Hey, That's and, it. And, hey. and Peter Pan and Captain Hook. <laughs> hey, that, right in the veins, man. Mainline that pirate content. Well, no, pirates Just of the Caribbean, though. Pirates of the Caribbean, though. I'm telling you, right in. Yeah. Just give me you the log into Netflix and it shows you chess space shows. When I log into <laughs> Netflix, it shows me pirate treasure documentaries that end up being 27 seasons long, and I'm I'm loving it. 27. No, seasons? I don't know. It's, it's, but it's oh, been going, dude. Day. It's like Grey's yeah, Anatomy. It never ends. <laughs> but it's one of those reality shows, Derek. Where like, if you actually just played the actual footage. From like beginning to end, it'd be about seven minutes long. Yeah. But because of all the breaks and the recaps after the break and right. like teasers yeah. leading up to the break, yep. they stretch it out to a whole show. <laughs> it, 
It's I would hate to watch it with commercials, but it's not bad on Netflix where you can just kind of yeah. burn through it, you know? Uh-huh. It, 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 it's like what it's like there's only like twelve minutes of action in an actual yeah. football game, but it's like, well, I'll sit through because those twelve minutes are so good. Guys, yeah. they just hit something down there. The drill bit hits something. Now, did it break? Probably. Are we gonna have to wait four more episodes for them to figure yep. out whatever broke the bit? Absolutely. Yep. Is it gonna be any, something exciting or is the hole gonna nope. collapse in on itself and they're gonna forget what the Yes. It doesn't matter, guys. Blackbeard's treasure's probably down there. And one of these episodes, they're going to find it. So. They just found an old piece of wood that's very old down there. That it, means something. You tell me how it got down there. You tell me. That's a whole. I'm, I'm in. I'm watching next week. Thanks a lot. That one piece of wood, just. I got to watch three more hours now, minimum. You know? Yeah. What if they find a, a gold bullion down there? Or a saber or something cool? All right. What do you have, Derek? Oh man, I got mine is a little bit more sad, man. And I have so many memories at this place and and things are good, but well no they're not good. Guitar Center is filed for bankruptcy. What? Yeah. What? Yeah, and that's sad because I can't remember how many times I've gone into that place and hear somebody totally ruining um, Bohemian Rhapsody on an electric guitar. Hey, like, hey, <laughs> I, I, I did hear. I, I did hear though. It's it's chapter eleven. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, so they're 11, reorganized. They so they're not closing yeah. down, or at least not closing down all of them. That you can still. It's restructuring their debt. Yeah, but there's a lot of them that have closed down. So I'm blessed that the one, the one I go to in Nashville is like one of the higher grossing ones. So it's not. Yeah, yeah. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. But there's a lot of them. That are uh, that are going away, and it just kind of sucks. Like when you when you think about this this pandemic, it's not. I start thinking about even just Guitar Center, but then I start thinking about the production companies with a lot of tours that would be going on. Like people, yep. would, I mean, this is touring season right now, and there's a lot of like musicians that you know, road managers, uh, booking agents, you know, having to find new work. This just kind of shows the how this has impacted the entertainment industry in a way I probably wouldn't have thought. I didn't even think like, oh wow, Guitar Center people aren't buying guitars, they're yeah. not getting guitar lessons, uh, well, well, all the, those different things. Well, you the, know? the thing is actually the Fender, the, you know, the leading maker of one of the leading makers. You know, they make the Stratocaster and Telecaster. Yeah, a bunch of, yeah. They're actually having record sales. It's just that people aren't comfortable in the retail environment. So. Mm. Well, okay, part of the charm okay. of going to Guitar Center was taking one off the wall, plugging it yeah. in, and just yes, letting it rip and making everyone in the store forced to listen to you. That was part <laughs> of the charm of it. But yeah, yes. it, the, the fortunate thing is, you know, it seems like more people are actually taking up uh, uh, instruments. But Good. yeah, that retail setting, just like in a, in, a, in a lot of uh, uh, you know different you know, kind of industries is really suffering. But well, and two, like, I got to be honest with you, when I'm buying studio gear and stuff uh, or audio video, anything, I need more options than the three that you have, you know, and I'm not talking about <laughs> instruments. I'm talking about, <laughs> right. and I know it's full retail. I know if I go to Sweetwater or B&H, I'm going to see a lot more options. Yeah. And I'll have it right. tomorrow. And it's just like, to me, I, it never occurred to me. The only time I ever went to Guitar Center was like, if I needed a cable that died, and I needed it today mm-hmm, and I would just mm-hmm. run down there and grab it. But like instruments though, are almost like try it on clothes. Like where mm-hmm. will people online yeah. buy a new guitar? Because it's like, so you got to hold it in your hands. You yeah. got to hear it. Right. I mean, that is weird. Like, I don't know yeah. what, what would replace that. You know? I don't yeah. see myself, you know, 
I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a music, you know, like when it comes to an audio interface, sure. You do the research, look at the reviews, but if it was a, a violin, yeah. I mean, you're not just going to mail yourself a violin off of Amazon. Right. You got to right. feel it. It, it got to feel right. And, it, it, and even these things are made out of wood. So everyone doesn't feel exactly the same. So it's almost right. like, it's almost like Star Wars, like your lightsaber has to call you. Like you got to, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you got to go out there and feel it, baby. You know? So I, I just hope, I hope that Guitar Center... I mean, it seems like this is a good idea, though. They they said it's going to help them clear like eight hundred million in debt. So, and mm. I guess they're just going to have to get slim. And it's just like everything we talked about, like the media and, and anything else. They're just going to have to adapt to the new environment for the for the foreseeable future. And you got to think too, though. Ultimately, like when you think about the analogy of pruning. You know, you prune off branches that's cutting back, that's killing something that's alive, but it's Mm -hmm. to create new growth that's healthier. And I feel like our economy is kind of going to go through that. Like businesses that were not smart aren't going to make it. And then the (laughs) ones that do make it are going to come out. They they got real smart. They got real efficient. They got real lean and they're going to thrive in the, you know, as things get back to normal. So like, Guitar Center may be an example of that. Maybe they'll yeah. trim down what they are, but what they end up being in the future will be better, you know? Even better. So we'll see. Who knows? All right. That'll do it for Slices. Stay tuned. Up next, John Mark Comer joins us. listening to Willow and Jonavie Harrison. The song is Gahindra. Well, today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is something preventing you from achieving your goals or experiencing peace with the heaviness of all that's happening in our world right now? It can be difficult to find peace and purpose. And that's why there's BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You connect in a safe and private online environment and can start communicating in under 24 hours. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, and you can send a message to your counselor anytime. To top it all off, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a relevant podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash relevant. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash relevant. Well, John Mark Comer is a teacher, author, and lead pastor at Bridgetown Church in Portland. He's written a number of notable books, including The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry and God Has a Name. We talked to him about overcoming polarization and how Christians should understand their true citizenship. Here is our conversation with John Mark Comer. Okay, so with everything that we've uh, <laughs> we've been through this year, uh, do you have any thoughts on what 2021 could look like for the church? Man, I mean, I think three of the most important words we have in our verbal arsenal right now are, we don't know. 
you know so any you know it's it's guessing still i mean i'm cautiously very optimistic for 21 i think p- politics aside i think with a new president in the white house a lot of the kind of social unrest will calm way down because the the far right and the far left have a very parasitic relationship and they feed off of each other and so um much of what in my city in particular has just like really sidetracked us for a number of months now it's not going to go away but i think it's going to lose a massive amount of momentum steam energy volume so i think that will calm down i think we will get a vaccine um i, I don't understand what that rollout looks like from vaccine to life is back to normal or church is back to normal um i'm not a doomsday person so i don't think that this is going to forever change the world um our you know the church as we know it is over i will have a limited impact i still think unless if they, this were to last like 3 years or something but very few people think that you know so i think it's just going to be a long slow kind of slog and uh yes i guess i'm cautiously optimistic for what's coming i feel a lot more hopeful in recent weeks um as we move forward so for folks who are still feeling kind of uneasy about what 2021 and honestly beyond might look like. Do you have any practical words of wisdom like about how to remain optimistic or how to remain hopeful? You know, um, optimism and hope are not the same thing, uh, in my opinion. You know, optimism is this kind of, you know, pseudo self-helpy kind of mental trick where you just tell yourself things are going to get better. The problem is reality does not always align to ap- optimism. So, You know, you've read all the sociological and psychological surveys that basically say pessimists are more likely to be right about the future and optimists are more likely to be wrong, but they live happier, healthier lives. Hope is such a different concept because hope is interesting. It's about the future, but it's actually energy for the present. So in biblical theology, hope is it's about what energize, what's our energy source in the present. And it's the belief, not just that in kind of what my therapist calls the gospel of upward mo- of upward mobility, the kind of American linear thing, but it's the hope that God is with us through whatever suffering we face and good will come through it. And in the end, all will be made well. But end isn't like 2021, end is like return of Jesus, you know, very different metric system type of thing. So I think, you know, the discipline is like curating your inputs as far as your digital inputs, where your mind is. And then is facing reality and and then that involves grieving reality and then is really replacing your hope in biblical concepts of Jesus being with us, Jesus bringing good out of who we become through our suffering and Jesus return to make all things new. So I'm not a big fan of like just kind of mental, you know, ninja trick optimism. It'll make you a happier person, but it won't necessarily make you a better person. So something we've heard a lot here at Relevant is that a lot of Christians are feeling very, um, very alone in their faith right now, with it being uh, twisted into a really political, very, very partisan idea, maybe some feelings of shame and discouragement that come with that. What would you say to people who are feeling those ways? Yeah, I mean, I, a lot of I would have a lot of compassion because I feel that way on pretty much a daily basis, you know, and um and and the tricky thing i think for us is to delineate between um like what's a what is a realistic and reasonable sense of shame that we need to repent of 
meaning we feel embarrassed because people are antagonistic toward like orthodoxy or toward the way of Jesus or toward the sex ethic of Jesus. And what is a shame based on people just being fools and baptizing Jesus for their, their partisan agenda, which in my opinion, maybe this is something important is just as prevalent on the left as it is on the right. But you'll notice that people on both the left and the right will use Christian terminology, but it's like Rosaria Butterfield has that line. It's like about how, they have um, same vocabulary, different dictionary. So they might use some of the same words, love or justice or freedom, or you fill in the blank. But what they actually mean by those is radically different than what Jesus and the writers of the New Testament mean, or even just the way of Jesus down through church history means. Jesus said over and over again, many will say to me on that day, didn't we you know, cast out demons in your name? Did we know your name? And depart from me, I never knew you. You know, so our job, is to stay faithful to Jesus. And I don't think there's any version, whether you live in a more conservative culture or a more liberal culture, or you're stuck in between, you know, in a national or something, I don't think there's a version of following Jesus in the coming years and decades that doesn't involve cultural shame. Are you hopeful about the American church overcoming these, uh, these divides and becoming a, a unified force here in the U.S.? Um, yes, because I think the more that we become a, um, minority, not ethnic minority, but cognitive minority, as sociologists would say, the more that we kind of move into an exile kind of moment, the more secular the culture becomes, the more people will be forced to concede that we are a, a, a counterculture or, you know, uh, Patrick Deneen has this whole thing on how the church needs to become a counter anti-culture. And, um, you know, it's weird how the word order has become politicized. I don't, I'm not using it in that sense, but, you know, in Genesis kind of archetypal metaphoric language, the human vocation is to take chaos and make order. And Philip Reef did this whole thing on how Western secular culture is increasingly attempting to take order and make chaos. And, and so what's needed is not a counterculture, which is what is needed against like rebellion and oppressive authority systems, but is like a counter anti-culture to actually stand for something and stand for human flourishing and a new kind of community. So, yeah, I think the, the more that we become um, a minority on the side, a cognitive minority on the sidelines of society, the more marginalized we are, the more in exile we are, the more we will come together, the more unified. Where is the church most, most unified in the most secular cities in America? Like the, the church in Portland is, is thriving together. It's incredibly unified. We're friends together. We're working together because there's a different, there's a minority mentality. It's just different. There's no competition. There's no who can do the coolest sermon series to steal people from this church over. It's just, we don't think that way, not because we're more virtuous, just because that's not the mindset of somebody who's living in exile. It's, oh, you too, let's come together. How can we be together? You know, but the sad thing right now is just seeing how many people on the left and the right are just how many Christians, I mean, are just taken captive by ideologies, which really is a form of idolatry. And it's really sad, but I think some of it will burn itself out. And what's left will be the resilient disciples who are ready to still follow Jesus. So there's always this debate about the role of a Christian in the political sphere. Uh, some Christians believe very firmly that Christians should not uh, vote for the state to take on the role of loving our neighbor, loving our enemies. That should be the church's job. And then others believe that uh, that you can work with the government on those things, right? Uh, so do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, is the, Do we have to pick between those two things or have we created sort of a, a false binary, maybe? Well, I think we over-talk it a little bit because I don't think we have nearly the influence that we want to believe that we have on the state. 
So I think, um, sure, vote, do your thing, have your opinion, and then get on with the work that God's called you to do. I, I think that's one of the reasons there's so much anger and anxiety is because people overestimate their influence over what happens in politics, you know, and I just think increasingly we don't have a lot. And um, that just is. So I think we get on with the work. I think when it comes to specifically the poor, I think it's incredibly important not to moralize it because it's, it's a debate over how, not over what. So the debate is over how to best care for the poor, not like what the Bible says about a Christian responsibility to the poor. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a calling before God to share from what you have, if you have any extra to care for the poor, as well as the immigrant and the refugee. And the, the question becomes how? So obviously, democratic and socialist Christians think the best way to do it is through government programming and higher taxes and wealth redistribution, Republican and libertarian Christians through uh, government deregulation and creating space for agency and entrepreneurship and Anabaptists or apolitical Christians tend to think it's not through government at all, but it's through the church and through relational one-on-one things. So in all honesty, I lean more Anabaptist in my theological orientation. And I think justice is best done in relationships and community, not through programs and kind of checks. I think it's best done at a micro level, not a macro level, through relational people, you know, which is why I think the, the New Testament has a ton to say about caring for the poor and justice and nothing about politics. It's all just the assumption of Paul, Peter, the New Testament writers is that justice is done in the church. So I think I have my hands full just trying to do justice in my own church. That was John Mark Comer. Make sure to check out some of his books, like The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry and God Has a Name. They're great. Stay tuned. Up next, it's your feedback. listening to foster the people song is under the moon okay it's time for your feedback last week we asked you i mean it's gift giving season uh we asked you what's the weirdest gift you've ever received it it came from the conversation that uh uh george clooney gave 14 of his friends a million dollars in cash in bags as a as an i love you bro kind of gift and uh, got us talking about gifts. And we asked you, what's the weirdest or worst present you ever received? You hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast. And you also posted on the episode post on Relevant Magazine's Instagram page. Here are a few of our favorites. Yo, Christina got my favorite. She said, we did a white elephant elephant gift exchange, which I have no clue what that is. Uh, Wait, you don't know what that is, Derek? I've never heard of that in my entire life. White it elephant, has to be... you bring like a, a $20 present to a party. Uh-uh. It's all anonymous. Some people call it like Dirty Santa. You, yeah. You okay, Dirty Santa. You okay. steal it. Yeah. 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 yeah, I heard of Dirty Santa before. Never yeah. heard yeah, of white elephant. steal the gifts. Same thing. Same oh, thing. Okay, okay, okay. Same. Is, this is like the Christian version or something? I don't know no, where white a, elephant I, came from. Yeah. Why is it a white elephant? Why can't it be like pink or purple? I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't all right. know. Well, I well, have it's the no exact idea. same thing. Same okay, thing. cool, cool, cool. I, Yankee Swap, Dirty Santa. Yankee Swap? What is that? I never heard Yankee it's Swap. It's the same thing? Okay, there's an episode of The Office yeah, where the Michael Scott yeah. 
wants to do Yankee Swap, and they talk about the name. Oh, I call it Dirty Santa. I call it White Elephant. Oh. It's the same thing. Uh, okay. I must have yeah. missed. I don't know how I missed that one. That's crazy. Michael Scott got uh, an iPod, a $400 iPod <laughs> yeah, for the $20 remember. White Elephant. <laughs> and Phyllis that. made him... <laughs> Uh, oven mitts, hand made oven yeah, mitts. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. How's yeah. how's an oven mitt as good as an iPod? Yeah, yeah I, <laughs> dude, I, I'm just, hey, I'm just reading the history of White Elephant, and we'll we'll get back to the the feedback here. Us. It's actually pretty great. Uh, a very spiteful king of Siam. Uh, uh, <laughs> That sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. Yeah, well, okay. King of right. Here, here's where it came from. This guy, when he had someone in his life, he was the king of science, which is now Thailand. He's, so he's this king, so he can buy whatever he wants. He he would, when he had someone he didn't like, he would buy them a literal white elephant, a rare white elephant, because they cost, they're so rare and they cost so much to upkeep. Like, who wants to have to maintain an elephant that he would give them to him as a present? Just out of spite. Like, here you go. Here's a chore. Now you have to care for an extremely <laughs> yeah. rare white elephant that's going to eat a ton and be massive to clean up after. What a spiteful weirdo. Like, yeah, he's a king. He could just lock them away. You know, he could have done whatever he wanted. He was the king. Back then, from what I understand, kings would do a lot of messed up things to people they didn't like. He's like, no, 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 no. Give him an elephant as a pet. pet. And better yet, give him one of those five white ones that are still in existence so everyone knows if something happened, that jerk didn't do his job. I gave him a white elephant, and he didn't care for it. Like, it's just locking them down with a giant burden. I love this guy. I'm going to do a deep dive on the King of Siam because it's that is, that is next two level Chev- spite. That is next level spite. better than two Chevy Silverados, bro. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Dude, that story... I love this guy so much. Like, that sounds like you. It sounds like something if you were a king and you had access to white elephants, I believe you would do that to people. Jesse talks this talk, but he is the most empathetic, caring, kind person ever. But he loves these stories. Of, and he's like, loves he, thinking maybe he just about. just lives vicariously through the story. So he, he would never. He would never. In real life. That is so great, though, because what if you were a dissenter of the king just back in the day? You had a big problem with the king, his policies, and you're just going around Siam, let everybody know how much you don't like him. And then the, like, the, the, the king's messenger comes and be like, hey, the king's got something for you. Oh, really? It's a gift. And it's like, now you got to care for that white elephant. Congratulations. <laughs> now, you know, your whole schedule, it's like people can't even go out of town if they have a dog without making right. five phone calls to find someone to let it out twice a day. Imagine if you got a freaking elephant from the king. <laughs> and it's white and there's only like six in existence now that's your problem okay I love that enjoy. guy I love that enjoy. guy enjoy alright well anyway alright we really got off right there yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. Christina says we did a white elephant gift exchange at youth group one year and uh, where you were actually supposed to bring a nice gift but someone didn't get the memo so when I chose to open the gift I was the lucky one who walked away with an Irish spring bar of soap <laughs> mm. <laughs> that's so sad uh, we had we at our, at our staff Christmas party we always would do every year we would do the afternoon uh, the day of our Christmas party the afternoon we would just do kind of like family Christmas stuff staff games have fun and then at night we would do something nice and you'd have dates and stuff like that so the game we always did white elephant always did white elephant and it was like what was it Jesse 15 bucks yeah and try to like stay around 15 bucks like Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like don't Mm -hmm. go don't bring a dollar gift Mm -hmm. just stay around 15 bucks one year I'm not lying one of our 
I don't know who did this. I think I know. But there was a gift. It was wrapped in newspaper, which Derek Miner would do. Yeah, absolutely. No, it might have been it, me, and actually. And it was, and I was going last, and it was the only one left, and it was soggy. And I opened it, and it was an unwrapped piece of meat. Like they just went and got like a steak no. or something raw no. and just wrapped it in newspaper. <laughs> and that was the white elephant gift. And I got stuck with it. I had to have this rotten piece of meat. And every and he felt really bad. I know who it was. He felt really bad because everybody else got like cool, nice, clever presents, and then I was stuck with a soggy piece of meat. Did he spend fifteen dollars on that piece of meat? That was no, a waste. he didn't. And he wrapped in newspaper. <laughs> I know who it is. I'm still bitter. Um, Ollie says lunch this. was terrible oh. that day. Meat sandwich. <laughs> um, Ollie says a, this is what they got: a glittering red pillow that changes when you stroke it. Mine changed from a red pillow to a pillow with a picture of Nick Cage faces on it. Fantastic gift. That's <laughs> a sounds like mine's a gift. That's party fuel. That's that's, <laughs> a, a, that's tangible party fuel. You bring that to a party, be like, hey, everyone, check out that guy. He's got a glittery Nick Cage pillow. Got to go talk to that guy. Okay, <laughs> now um, you're Nick Cage's glitter cr- pillow guy. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he's got some interesting things Stories, to chop up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trust me. He ended I'm going to sidle up to Nick, yeah, Nick Cage's glitter pillow guy. Later. Yeah, the after party. Follow that guy. Christina, he rode in here on a white elephant pissed off the king that guy got some stories man some stories <laughs> another christina said this is pretty baffling someone i was dating at the time gave me a figurine of lucy from peanuts i don't particularly like peanuts I, did he think i was bossy like lucy did i look like her why would he give that to me i still have no idea that is weird it's still Poor and i christina. can tell christina it still bothers you a lot and yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's your own get a private very white taste specific present. Oh, yeah, a very taste specific present for somebody that they've never expressed interest in that thing. A collectible of something they've never talked about. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That's that, funny. That be, you know why she got that? Because he was at his mom's house and he was like, oh my gosh, I'm going out with Christina tonight. And I'm supposed to bring a gift. And her mom's like, I don't know. How about you take this figurine? He's like, okay, this is great. And that's how she ended up mm. with the Lucy it, figurine. W- the the mm. only way that makes it funny is someone spent a lot of money on it. And something that there's <laughs> no, you've never given any indication. You'd be like, like if I w- like we're at a party i was like here you go jamie open up it was like a box set of like chris angel blu-rays you know and it'd be like well i'm sure this wasn't cheap i mean these are blu-rays of seasons four through eight of uh mind free chris angel why did you buy them and give them to me like I love- or, or like you go or you go to a wedding and somebody like invests in like uh you know they open a swarovski crystal yeah. of like a but it's like of dolphins statue yeah. and it's like you know it costs like 350 dollars yeah. yeah what are you gonna do with it yeah like, can't throw it out yeah but yeah i got, got a homemade uh well i'm not, I'm not gonna say it because i don't say it. Say, say it say it say it Change the At names. one point, I was given—I won't even say the name. I don't think this person would ever know—a uh, homemade like prayer shawl blanket, Aww. which th- you, you had to put out when that person comes over because they want to know where it is. They want to make sure that the covering is out on the back of the couch. Uh, you know, they went to the trouble of sewing the prayer shawl. You got to leave that thing out. You know, the awkward gift. Hey, that was me with in, my in, grandma's cabbage patch kid. You just had that, to keep yeah. it because yeah, she's exactly. going to want to see exactly. it when she visits. Oh mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. That, there's a lot more where that came from. Go check it out. Y'all have gotten some weird presents. Uh, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Okay. So uh, a few minutes ago, we learned about the King of Siam and his Dr. Seuss bi- biography. Uh, 
King of Siam, I am. I am. I am the King of Siam. Sam, I am the King of Siam. <laughs> I know yeah. nothing about uh, his legacy, but he's my new favorite world leader. I mean, what a what a what a move, you know? And uh, the the guy knew spite like no other. And you you wrong the king. He's going to give you a lifelong obligation to provide food and clean up after an elephant, an um, endangered white elephant. <laughs> Which you can't dis- <laughs> discard because it's endangered. Uh, yeah. Perfect spite present. So yeah. we want to know the best example of a spite act that you've observed or been the recipient of. Yeah. And I want people to get creative. Like, you know, everyone's been in the room where, you know, maybe like, a, let's say like a mother-in-law type of figure gives someone like a cookbook. And it's like, oh, I heard you really need this oh, around the house. You know, oh, like you. just that next level passive <laughs> aggressive. aggressive. Like, like it's actually pretty yeah. harmless, but it's like, oh, I see what you're doing here. I see, you know, <laughs> I, oh, we got you, you know, the vacuum cleaner because, oh, like, <laughs> yeah. hey, hey, listen, we wanted to bless you. We're getting your house cleaned for you. And it's like, oh, <laughs> to bless me? Or are you trying to say something here? Okay, it's busy around the holidays. Sorry. Got the a little, passive aggressive yeah. spite act. Yeah, I like yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast, or you can post on, uh, this episode's Instagram post at Relevant Magazine. Wow, this is a good one. Well, many thanks to John Mark Comer for joining us today. Make sure to follow him on Instagram at John Mark Comer. And also check out the new issue of Relevant. It's out now. It's featuring Matthew McConaughey, Letitia Wright, Social Club Misfits, Jen Hatmaker, and so much more, including our Christmas gift guide. You should check that out. Some great, affordable, creative, thoughtful, sustainable gifts. Something we're all looking for right now. Go check it out. It's available for free. Thanks to UHSM at relevantmagazine.com. And on that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Jamie Ivey. I'm Derek Miner. <coughs> Sorry. It's December 1st. Have a good December, everybody. <laughs> listening to the relevant podcast check out our features interviews and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com and make sure to follow relevant on facebook twitter and instagram for the latest for more great podcasts browse the shows on the relevant podcast network which you can find at our site and while you're there don't miss the all-new era of relevant magazine a new issue releases every other month at relevantmagazine.com No one's got inside knowledge on aliens, that's for sure. Relevant Podcast Network. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.